The other school of thought is to keep track of the transactional changes. So you take like a snapshot, if you will. Probably the closest analogy is like a snapshot. If I need to roll back, we roll back to the changes to the snapshot that we just took. Your snapshots get consolidated and, and swooped in and you keep a number of snapshots, uh, whatever that is. That sounds to me like tumbleweed. Yeah, tumbleweed definitely hands them out that way, but there are some immutable ones that like keep track of your system. The tumbleweed hands out updates that way, but it's not transactional. It's not necessarily transactional on your system. Does that make sense? Certain things are locked in uh, from changing. Right, and that's what makes it immutable. That's you can't the immutable part. Things. Whereas tumbleweed is right. not immutable. You can sideload and compile your own whatever. Um, there's a, there's a lot more fappery you can do. Coming up in this episode, immutability is confusing. Going the wrong way. Reverb focus, hardware focus, and Gentoo focus. Welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo. So, Leo, <laughs> we've entered into this uh, exploration into yet another immutable operating system. It's a bit huh. of a thing to get your head wrapped around, no? I've heard this immutability word a bunch of times, but diff when different people say it, they mean different things. Right. And that's what makes it hard. What, 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 I don't even know what it means. Uh, I think I know what it means. I think we're going to talk about what we think, what we know what it means. <laughs> we'll, we'll learn more. We're by no means experts, but there's parts of your operating system that even if you faff with them, when you go to reboot or whatever, it'll just go back to the way it was. Or also when you do updates, uh, they'll get basically side loaded and then you'll boot into that uh, later on so there's a couple of different right. schools of thoughts in another way it's also considered to be like a version control system you know essentially you can pick the path the breadcrumbs you can follow the breadcrumbs back to where you were i had been following vanilla os mm -hmm. with uh with, with a, a whole lot of interest because i like the idea of, as we talked about on the Debian episode, I like the idea of having kind of a distro box style um, situation where I can pull software from absolutely anywhere, regardless of the base that I'm on. And that is really enticing to me. In some Linux distros, I don't like to be, I don't like to feel trapped. And most of the Ubuntu's have gotten away with this by having PPAs, and those got really popular, so you can get some software, but you're still. Um, you would still have the AUR folks saying, ha, 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 you can't get this software, though. And um, But DistroBox has kind of closed the gap on a lot of that. But the other thing about Vanilla OS is that it does this AB style right. of immutability. Here's, here's how I think it works. And the way that I've explained it, probably wrongly, uh, privately, is... 
it works a lot like the phone operating systems oh, for where sure. you download the whole thing. So during an update, you download all of it, and that is just the new system. You splat that where where you uh, where you would boot into the system, and the other one goes on the back burner just in case something goes wrong, and you try to boot. You boot into the new one, and if that works, cool. Now you have a backup just in case, but if it does not work, the uh, the one that was replaced gets put back, and then you boot back in, and likely you'll try again. You'll do some cleanup operation, figure out why it went wrong, um, but then you'll eventually try it again because you got to be on the, the latest and greatest eventually. But and it could be an update that that you know happens on the upstream system you know they may they may have said we made a whoopsie and uh you know issue another update and then then you try that one and it, and it works right so that that right. could be an al- another alternative yeah so so basically your root and slash usr those things are read only and so those are the things that you know where all the updates gets you know splatted out to you know your stuff is changeable and it is read write because it's yours, and the system things are read-only. That's the takeaway. I kind of ran into the situation on um, on a Mac, uh, because sure. apparently, apparently, Mac OS does it very, very similarly they to do. this. Uh, and I found out that this is the way that things were, because when you're on a Mac, and you're in the terminal, and you want to make a change to a text file, uh, my go-to is Nano. So I type mm-hmm. in Nano. But on a Mac... It doesn't open Nano. Nano is linked to Pico or right. Pico. Right, right. Uh, I guess Pico is the correct pronunciation. Yeah, of pine, it. pine, whatever, right? That's where it started. Yeah. So, and it goes to Pico. And that really rubs me the wrong way because uh, Mac hasn't, or Apple hasn't done anything to enable Control S, which is a very common save. Save. Yeah. key combination right and nano didn't have it forever either like no it's like control o right 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 but eventually i think new versions of nano all support control s mm. to do the same thing as control o control o that's like across the keyboard right and and a lot of times that's open and just it so it just makes my brain go weird mm-hmm. but i go through the process of in homebrew which is a lot like the aur for mac and you can do it on linux too I, I downloaded Nano, I got it popped in where I wanted it to go, and then I tried making Nano the new Nano on macOS. But apparently, you can't do that because Pico and the link to Pico is part of the immutable right. part of the system. So you can't make that change. And Well, okay, I say that. You can make that change, but you have to make system uh, immutable system level changes that will get wiped out the next time you run an update right so it's it's just a never-ending cat and mouse game of oh did we update oh i gotta go fix my nano again and so i gave up i I wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna do that i suppose though uh, because i've seen a whole lot of conversation about it that you aren't that locked into it with rpm os tree in fedora on silver blue style systems. Yeah, thankfully you're not, right? So RPM OS tree lets you layer things and then that becomes your new your new snapshot if you will. You can add, you can install things with RPM. You can remove things too. 
with RPM OS tree. So like if for some reason you did not like the Firefox that came, I'm picking on this one for a reason. If you didn't like the Firefox that came with your, you know, Fedora silver blue, you can get rid of it. Now that becomes your new base layer. Uh, basically everything minus um, Firefox. Or if you really got to have the fish shell or ZSH, uh, you know, for your shell, right. um, you have to layer those things on top of your base image and that becomes your new base. And so for a, for a tinkerer, this, mm-hmm. this style of immutability is head and shoulders above the Mac OS style of oh, yeah. immutability mm-hmm. because you can still go in and make changes that are persistent Right. And and, and are, you're not locked into, well, this is what Apple says, so this is how you're going to do it. Right. Obviously, the preferred method to add applications, especially, you know, specifically, you know, GUI applications, is going to be using a flat pack, right? That's the one they mm-hmm. promote the most. And it just kind of, you know, that's the that's the method they, they give you. Layer layering is like a little further down if you absolutely have to and can't get it another way. Layering would be something you could do. Um and like I think if I ha if I remembering the list well, app image is probably like the last thing. If, oh, if, oh, if you true. can't if okay, you can't can find it that. one of the other two ways, then you, you you're gonna install it with like an app image or something. So Thunderbird was a was a early app that I added in. And when I when I found it in the GNOME Software Center, I found it. Mm-hmm. It was defaulting to installing it from Fedora, which I would assume. Well, so you got to remember, Fedora has their own um, flat. Oh, pack so it would have been a flat pack too. Uh, probably, yeah. No, because it seems I, very likely that it was. I swapped that to FlatHub real fast. Because mm-hmm. I knew they had the 115 Supernova, which is something that we didn't cover on the show, but I'm very excited about. I'm I'm super, super stoked yeah. about Supernova on Thunderbird. You may, maybe, maybe we'll re-app focus it or something like that, but app focus has changed. <laughs> a little bit for Stay a little tuned. while. Yeah. Stay mm-hmm. tuned. Absolutely. Lots of apps, just not like before. So, yeah, no, okay. it probably was. And, and if you have both repositories... Um, you know, installed or whatever, you know, available. I think you can flip between them in, I don't know. I don't, I don't use GNOME software very much, but I think you can, you, you can specify where you're, you're pulling that from. I think. Cool. I'll have to look into Firefox because Firefox is automatically there, obviously, because it's right. Fedora and all that. that well, that's, that's on the base image. So that's oh. not, that's not a flat pack there. Um, oh. Yeah. So that's so in the anything base. anything on the base. Oh, see, now this is why I like that we're talking about it like this now, because mm-hmm. there's so much that I don't know when it comes to how this stuff works. And over the next couple of weeks, you know, between now and the next I'm episode. I'm not an expert, but I... Know a thing. <laughs> we still won't be experts by the end of it all, but I think we'll know a whole lot more about it. Okay, so I think I know what you were talking about with the whole uh, Firefox thing. Yeah. Um, that So the Firefox from FlatHub does have those things built in, right? Like the H.264 and the... I think it does. I'm not okay. 100% of that, but... I can see why the the we'll one that's report back. The one that's on the base image uh pretty sure does not. So if there's one that you may uh, want to get I'm rid right. of, that might be it. The other thing is I think you can go at it a, another approach and you can add the extra H264 stuff 
add it to your base image and go that route too. So I think there are a couple of options from what I know, but I haven't experimented with it myself. A, a lot of the H.264 stuff, because it's not free and open source software, is going to come from uh, RPM Fusion. Is possible to add other repositories. That's also okay. kind of frowned upon too. So I don't know. Okay. All right. So they're not going to restrict you like uh, Apple, but they're going to look at you weird <laughs> as if they were. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Ultimately, ultimately, it's Linux. You got your choice. You can go right. the route you want to go. Uh, it's just they're going to give you some guidance as far as what they think is the best practice. Um, so, you know, I mean, if you're new to it, it's probably not a bad idea to follow the best practice guidelines. Oh, and and I, I agree with that. That's uh, that's totally cool. Um, but there is uh, just like you know, DevOn exists and anti-system defaults exist. Oh, absolutely and, right. Like there is going to be a vocal minority of people that are. This is not the way that we should be moving. <laughs> the way um, <laughs> that we should be moving and this is going to kill Linux and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't know though. I I'm, I'm not nearly in any way, shape or form that pessimistic about this. I like the way that this is going because it does kind of give you a bit of a, a bit of a guarantee of boot stability, if nothing else. Uh, so that, you know, you're never stuck in a situation where your computer just won't boot up well, right that, it just boots up in the old version which is cool i'm totally on board with that yeah and then like if if it's your own fault because you decided to layer some package on there that wasn't it's the a safety thing, catch yeah no like if you decided to do that and shoot yourself in the foot you can recover from that so that's pretty yes. great i'm i'm super stoked about that this is actually something that i'm really kind of excited about um i i can see why there are folks out there right now that are, this is the new way. This is what, this is the future of Linux. This is why and how it's going to be. Just give it five more years and you won't have many traditional Linuxes out. Okay, we're, we're running Gen 2 out here. So the traditional Linux will live on forever. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the stuff that people might buy off the shelf won't be a Gen 2. It will be uh, some kind of maybe, possibly an immutable system like this. Well, hey, guess what? Newsflash. Uh, the most popular handheld Linux device that's out there right <sighs> now, that works that way. And it runs Arch. And it does the same thing. So it downloads. Oh, my gosh. It, you know, it's immutable, right? You can't mess with so, it. You can layer on some stuff, potentially, if you wanted to. This and is the kind of thing. Remember, it wasn't even a year ago, I don't think. Remember the grub thing in Arch where if you weren't paying very close attention to the, the changes that were coming down, you were going to get bit by this. And, and it was an almost unrecoverable, unrecoverable kind of thing. And even if you could recover, rolling back was still the better choice. But if you didn't have a way to roll back, right. then you know you were really kind of in a pickle for a little while. So uh, I, all that to say, Steam has one. Valve mm -hmm. has one. Yeah. Are there other Arch-based immutable systems? Right. I forgot Blend had switched, um, you know, bases, right? So yeah. Blend is Arch now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there is another option. And I think th that is the kind of thing that I would need to feel comfortable running an Arch. Like, like 
truly and every day and, you know, really running an arch for good. Right. I would need ButterFS is great. The snapshots are great. I think that's right. probably the baseline. But mm -hmm. I, I think having the AB immutability and uh, being able to just say, you know, automatically mm -hmm. rolling you back to the to the to the last known working state. That is probably the last thing I would need to say. Yeah, you know what? Okay, every day it's totally fine. I can totally do something like that. And then and then being a curmudgeon like I am, I'd probably just slap cinnamon back on it too. It's something we talked about when we did Garuda, right? Because Garuda right. comes out of the gate with ButterFS and yes. and it does those snapshot things and you're able to select those in And that's huge, man. on boot. It is huge. And because it doesn't matter which system you're running. They all eventually have some potential for problems and especially right. if, you, if you're mucking around with things like i mean if you're adding and removing and doing this that the other thing um beyond just updating um yeah any one of those could could mess things up so yep. being able to recover there are a lot of ways to recover uh, you don't have to do the snapshot thing necessarily just to recover, right? We we've we've all gone through different gyrations to you know that's what <laughs> backups are about, right? You yeah. know, um, there's different ways to get back to to square one, but some of it is about how long and what the time to recover is more yeah. than just the ability to recover because it's what it's why I really appreciated TG Tech and his mm -hmm. uh, time shift, and then mm -hmm. Linux Mint eventually took that over. Right. And uh, it's, it's why I love that so much. I'm glad a mm -hmm. way to recover from catastrophic failure exists. And now we have immutable systems that are, you know, you can't touch these parts because, you know, if you break these parts, these parts will make your life yeah. very uncool. They break you. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then now we have the AB thing, mm -hmm. which is just, I, I think, the next step toward having just really stable systems that you don't have to worry too much about. You can do your, your routine maintenance on them and not think about it too much. And if something breaks, oh, well, move to the, move to the previous one and then right. try it again. So, yeah, it increases the, uh, you know, it makes it, it makes a better user experience and it increases the ability to recover uh, in a more timely fashion. So it, it addresses all of those things pretty nicely. Dan, uh, I don't think we've talked about it. We said we were going to do a silver blue something, a fedora silver blue immutable something, but I don't yep. think we ever revealed which ones we were going to do. Nope. Um, so what what did what did you land on? So I landed on uh, Cerasi. I think that's how we say this. Uh, okay. It, it is the Sway uh, immutable uh, variety, and it is an official. It's an official one, and so that's the one I've settled on. Is the one that's Sway, which Sway Sway is I three, but Wayland. There it is. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Um, so I decided to go uh, way off the beaten path. I'm my intention is to really see if the immutable thing works. Mm -hmm. Um. And I'm now running experimental software. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we're we're just gonna go down that path, man. Um, and so there's a there's a side project that is not an official Fedora Silver Blue something. It is called Soda Light, and it runs the Pantheon desktop, which I know on more than one episode I have sung, sang, singed, whatever the praises. Of the Pantheon desktop, or just elementary OS in general, right, I right, love right. 
the way that I, I like their yeah, it's eye. Nice. Yeah, it's for, nice for for what things look like and how they should behave and all of that kind of thing. Um, so the Fedora version of that, but on an immutable base, which means that running experimental software in my mind, right? This is this is this is my thought process. Running this type of experimental software on top of an immutable base like this means that I'm taking less risk. Question mark. Well, but you you started with GNOME. I did. Yes, I started with the regular one. I started so, with the... like if for some reason the first time you you switched, uh, you could switch back, right? Yeah, it it didn't blow up. So I mean, it it just straight up booted me into Pantheon. It looked. And felt a whole lot like elementary OS, though I know the packages underneath are different. I know, you know, uh, so, elementary OS isn't immutable, but it seems safer than it is. This is a it's a cool experience, man. I've mm-hmm. I've kind of enjoyed it. Um, th- yeah, we're we're gonna have we're we're going to revisit this next episode. I'm I'm really kind of excited where uh, some of this stuff has taken us, and. Mm, we might we might be a little more informed. This program was made possible by YouTube, Tilvids, and contributions to your Lust Station by patrons like you. Large topic, very controversial, uh, gonna affect your web and not in a good way. Way back 2015. AMP, or Accelerated Mobile Pages, was a way for Google to cache web pages and make them available to the user quicker, but at a trade-off to privacy or, really, interacting with Google at all. Back in November of 2019, Google proposed web bundles, which made it more difficult to block ads and manipulate content on a web page. Think PDFs, not web pages. It ultimately died in February of this year. In December of 2021, Google weakened the power of extensions with Manifest V3 such that ad blockers are much less effective. Then, in May of 2022, first-party sets were introduced through the W3C by Google, which allowed different sites in or out of a single domain to communicate information about the user. The W3C decided to drop the idea in June as there was no way to implement it without causing major upset with regards to privacy. The original Google post April 24th, 25th timeframe on GitHub has an explainer that says, you know, from a group of Googlers, they put up the web environment integrity proposal. Its purpose is to allow web servers to evaluate the authenticity of the device and honest representation of the software stack and the traffic from the device, offer an adversarially robust and long-term sustainable anti-abuse solution, don't enable new cross-site user tracking capabilities through attestation, continue to allow web browsers to browse the web without attestation. That sounds kind of good and when you get into the github uh, and actually read the introduction and the summary and how they plan to implement that um it it does sound kind of good it's nice not no cross-site user tracking 
That's a good right. thing, right? I mean, that's not like we've got extensions and stuff that help us mitigate that sort of thing. And and one of the main <laughs> goals is to kind of cut down on inauthentic mm-hmm. web clicks. But you get the feeling really early on that this particular proposal is about Google's bottom line. It's about the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's all about the money. And and, and there could be genuine genuine uh, concern behind that. But why why is that the very first, one of the very first concerns? <laughs> well, uh, I'll just throw this out there, right? So Google is often thought primarily as a technology company. But oh. I feel like that is a misrepresentation of their actual strategy. Um, yeah. They the are technology primar- is secondary. Uh, yeah. They are primarily an advertising company. Yeah. Yeah. So they're looking to sell you advertising and they're using technology as the conduit to get it to you. Right. I mean, it's why there are ads in Gmail. It's um, it's why they're upselling you in Drive and why there's ads in Google searching. And and holy cow, are there ads in YouTube? Over the so this was this was back in April um, and it didn't take too terribly long for everybody else to kind of oh, figure yeah. out what's going Pile on. on. But in, and by everybody else, I mean, Mozilla, Vivaldi, Brave, the EFF. Yeah. Um, so Mozilla comes out on July 24th. And so to be clear, this is not necessarily a Google from up on high initiative. It, that it does, is yeah, definitely... It, it certainly doesn't seem that way. Yeah, but it right. seems like a proposal that is going to be pushed up that direction. Right. It It is internal. It is mm-hmm. from Googlers. So we know that there is some interest there. Um, so Mozilla is the first off the blocks to come out with, um, I, I hesitate to call it a rebuke, but I mean, yeah, kind of. In a positions article in GitHub, they say, Mozilla opposes this proposal because it contradicts our principles and vision for the web. Any browser, server, or publisher that implements common standards is automatically part of the web. The use cases listed depend on the ability to, de- to detect non-human traffic, which as described would likely obstruct many existing uses of the web, such as assistive technologies, automatic testing, and archiving and search engine spiders. So before we go on to Vivaldi stuff, th- this yeah. is some this these are big issues. And one of the one of the main things that comes out during a lot of um, a lot of these rebukes is that there aren't answers in the document yet to say how this type of attestation, this this type of... Um, so I, I guess before we go on, basically what, what uh, Way or uh, Web Environment Integrity is about is it is letting the Google Play Store, the Apple Store, mm-hmm. whoever uh, basically bless a browser or some other technology that allows you to, to connect to web things, internet things, and... If uh, and when they are blessed, then you are able to proceed. You're able to, uh, you know, access the information that is at these URLs or at these places. And if you are not blessed, think F Droid, think any other way to sideload applications, think Linux. If you are not blessed, then 
you cannot play. You cannot access. You cannot be there. And so this is why it's a big deal. This is technology that everybody uses. Now there are the haves and there are the have-nots. And I want to go a step further here with that. A lot of people are thinking, oh, their web browser is not going to work. So like if I sideloaded uh, Opera or uh, Vivaldi onto my Android from, you know, either by downloading it directly onto my phone or, you know, through some other store, that won't work. That's not the only things that are touching the web. Please remember, because there are like... What application do we use, especially on our mobile devices, that doesn't isn't designed to touch the web? And all of them are falling into this category as well. Not right, just because, your web surfing. Yeah. Right. Because the, the, the whole thing about this is that this proposal brings in a third party and a tester. Mm-hmm. Someone that blesses the browser and says, yes, you can go to that website. And that a tester has a public key that is available that you can say, all right, right, that a tester is who I think they are. They have said that this particular software signed the way that it is signed um, can can access my website. Therefore, okay, you can now see my content. Um, and so while, while Vivaldi from the Play Store will work because the Play Store is the attester saying, yes, right. Vivaldi can go, doesn't mean that downloading Vivaldi by itself Right. Would work because if you're on Linux, Linux or the store that you got it from or the PPA or whatever would then be that a tester. And did they go through the proper channels to become right. a, a, you know, an attester with a public key that is verified by all of the other attesters that are there that to, to make sure that everything is on the up and up? Yeah, I'm going to guess no. Because you're probably going to have to pay money to do that, right? Oh, first, right. First because off. it ain't free to check all this stuff. Right. So that's one thing. But. I feel this is like adding a layer of authentication. And so we're authenticating you or your thing to be able to have something that is intended to be open. This is why I love Mozilla's statement on this. Any browser server or publisher that implements common standards is automatically part of the web, right? The standards have already been agreed on. HTTP works. Yeah. The the consortium, right? Yeah. Which Google is a big part of, unfortunately. But so but, is Mozilla and all of the other right, players. The 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 fact that we have already agreed on the way that these people can uh, anybody anybody can access stuff on the web. Um, now that is that is being with this uh, with this proposal would uproot all of that. Would would say now we need to bring in a third party. Now we need to make sure that your browser is what we think it is and who it came from. And now you can access Tumblr or whatever you're trying to get, whatever you're trying to get access to. Because all of those, even individual apps are basically a browser that's going to some web page. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if you've ever actually taken one of those, uh, one of the apps like Twitter or anything else and, and uh, it went through one of the portals that tells you your user agent. It's just a browser. Right. It's it, it comes up as, I mean, in, in iOS, it comes up as Safari. Right. Every single time. In Android, it comes up as probably Chrome or some I, Chromium I think variant. so, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So everything is going to have to be a, 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 a tested, has to be uh, part of this blessed group of stuff. And so the next day, 
after after the Mozilla uh, statement, Vivaldi released a statement, uh, and in it they said, it is also interesting to note that the first use case listed is about ensuring that interactions with ads are genuine. While this is not problematic on the surface, it certainly hints at the idea that Google is willing to use any means of bolstering its advertising platform, regardless of the potential harm to the users of the web. Now, pay special attention to this part of their statement. Will Linux be completely excluded from browsing the web, or will Canonical, the Ubuntu Canonical, become the, the, the decider by virtue of controlling the Snaps package repositories? Who knows? But it's not looking good for Linux. Shots fired in a couple of directions there, but yes. You know, so so you could say, you know, the the more open Linuxy standardy flat pack flat hub thing. Right. They they kind of get to be controlling with what goes in. I mean, that's Mozilla though, so I guess not, right? Like maybe not. Uh, Mozilla deciding, but um, they're getting better right, about it, verifying things, right? They've they've come up with mechanisms, you know, flat hub has come up with mechanisms to verify publishers and whatnot. So maybe they could do it too, in addition yeah. to a snap repository. I don't know. Right. Right. I'd but, like to think, you know, I'd like to hope if, if, if I hope not, but I hope if this were to actually come true, it would be unfortunate, but I hope there's more than one at tester. Yeah. Right. That isn't the Apple store. And right. the Google Play Store. Yeah, it's got to be more the than Windows that. Store. Yeah, it needs to be because, more. Yeah, because those three are shoe-ins. Those three oh, are the sure. ones that you know are going to be the ones. Absolutely. But, you know, th this this may be the end of being able to run out and grab software from the internet and run it. That That is internet connecting. And mm, I that, don't know. That makes me sad. But, uh, but Vivaldi's statement was the only one that explicitly called out uh, Linux. I know there have been many Linux blogs and things like that that talk mm -hmm. about this, but but uh, Vivaldi, one of the people that are directly involved in uh, part of this attestation, who have said that they are not going to support Way, right. W E I, yep. um, specifically calls it out, and it's a good point. So uh, Brave came out on August first. They said, as with many of Google's recent changes and proposals regarding web. Web environment integrity would move power away from users and toward large websites, including the websites Google itself runs. Though Brave uses Chromium, Brave users do not and will not include Way. So another one on the train. Those are it, right? Like Firefox, mm -hmm. Vivaldi, Brave. Right. I don't think Edge much cares. I don't think Microsoft much cares because you know, as they are the arbiters of truth when it comes to Secure Boot, well, they, yeah, absolutely. They, they don't care because they are a shoe in. So yeah, they'll have to edge, be in, in the party. Yeah, right. They're they're they don't even have to do much. Uh, they just have to set up their infrastructure to talk to the to the att attestation servers. Well, and listen, they fine. can just flash some coin because that's what they've got. They can just do that. Hey. They'll just sign on. <laughs> Here, here's my money. You know, shut up and take my money. Right. I mean, yeah, that'll yeah, be exactly. where that's at. Exactly. Just scooch over. We're yeah. we're here too. Yeah. So then uh, a week later, the EFF on August, August 8th said, uh, added that Google is adding code to Chrome that will send tamper-proof information about your operating system and other software and share it with websites. Google says this will reduce ad fraud. In practice, it reduces your control over your own computer. 
and is likely to mean that some websites will block access for everyone who's not on an approved operating system and browser. It also raises the barrier to entry for new browsers. So you kind of get maybe uh, they have Linux in mind when they're writing this article. I think um, they're just talking about any operating system, though, when you think about it. Because, yeah, I mean, slap that old uh, warranty sticker across whatever operating system you're running. And the one that says, you know, no user serviceable uh, parts are inside and thou shalt oh, not right. add on, you know, anything. And so in order to get the case off of that, you know, computer to add the RAM, you got you to gotta slice open that sticker. And uh, now you've voided your warranty by installing some piece of software that didn't come from the blessed place. And, and I think the EFF goes a little further in their explanation of, uh, of where their head's at. Um, when they start talking about user agent switching, like we, we yeah. enjoy a whole lot of that. Vivaldi, we just covered in the last browser, uh, browser watch where Vivaldi is using agent switching shenanigans mm -hmm. to allow their users to access Edge's Bing. Yeah, the, chat, a, a, the AI, AI yeah, stuff, yeah. Now, with this attestation, that wouldn't be possible. They you now won't be able to say that my browser is this other browser so you can get access to software that is not, it's not like it wouldn't work in the browser that you're using. It just says, oh, that, that user agent says Firefox, so no. Right. How about no? There's there's a whole new barrier of entry now oh, to goodness. get in, and that's that's um, that's the last uh, at least of the reading that we've got in here in the show uh, of what the EFS is getting at. It raises the barrier to entry for new browsers. Think about GNOME Web. Yep. You think GNOME Web is going to be part of this? I don't think so. A Falcon? How about that one? Yeah, yeah. You think there's going to be a third party tester just waiting and ready and raring to go to say, all right, you know what, y'all are tested. Let's go. Let's let's move on. Let's get let's get back onto the open web. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna no. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess not. So we're we're huh. Again, just have to stress it's a it's a proposal and not anything that is about to happen. This is not manifest v three. Yeah, Google we don't want not... we don't want to instill too much fear here, but and <laughs> there is some uncertainty, obviously, and doubt. Uh, I mean yeah, that's applied. Don't 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 read into this too much, like Leo said. But but when you get a statement from Firefox, you get a statement from Vivaldi, you get a statement from Brave, and they're all saying we will not implement this yeah. way. Yeah. Web in in uh web no environment integrity. What is it? No. Web, web what is that? Web environment integrity. Um and then and then the EFF puts the cherry on top mm -hmm. and says these are all the things that is gonna break. If you do something like this. Yeah. And so the, um, so the initial announcement comes out in the end of April and then boom, bunch in May, in July. Yeah, over in, the next four August. months, like, really. Yeah. I mean, like everybody's just piling on at this point. Yeah. It's just yeah. coming in. So, and, and what's funny is in the, in, in, in the, the bit of history that kind of leads up to, this is kind of what Google's been doing. Um, we didn't even talk about Flock. No, no, that's another one that we've got to check in on again, I guess, at some point. Right, yeah, yeah. You, uh, whatever whatever came after Flock. Flock died. It did. Flock flopped, yeah. and then the the next one, Replacement uh, the cohorts one. Right. Yeah, yeah, is is still kind of coming still. I guess um, so. Yeah. It, it, it's just a pattern with Google. Um. 
essentially way is like scary stuff that's 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 the long and short of it i really hope that does that it doesn't come to fruition um yep. for a lot of reasons just a lot of reasons i think there's a, it, it it removes the openness like we talked about to the web and op- open access to things that should be available um in a lot of ways yeah yep and 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 in that way i'm glad mozilla had their their word first I am too. Um, because I think it, it very succinctly puts the argument together. Right. The open web is the open web. There shouldn't be a third party deciding who can access and who can't. You can catch these and all the great topics that we talk about as they unfold on our Lemmy instance, our subreddit, or our news channel on Discord. I got to say, just real quick, the, the Lemmy instance has dwarfed Reddit as far as subscribers go. So, I know, um, it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah thanks for subscribing. Uh, awesome. Absolutely. I haven't had as much time to spend there as of late the last few days, but I always enjoy it when I go and I, I learn some new things. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, up for a uh, old segment, but newly renamed. I coined this uh, the Reverb Focus. Because it's all about feedback. It is. We're going to focus on reverberations. I just like the word reverb. Uh, it's really uh, cool. I think it's cool. I think it fits this segment. Um, we've only got a couple, but I'm, I'm, we'll throw in the first one here real quick uh, from Lily. It says, here's a quick little message from Lily. Hello, Dan and Leo. I created a little post inspired by your podcast, epi- Debian episode. It lists the Debian releases accompanied by images of Toy Story characters that inspired uh, those particular release code names. And I'll, I'll throw the link in, in the show notes. And when you scroll through, you can see them all the way from the beginning, Buzz and, and his picture all the way down to the latest bullseye. And below that is Sid breaking your toys. <laughs> it says uh, nothing special or fancy, but it might be of interest to some folks. And thanks for a great podcast, Lily. Anyway, the the pictorial representation was cool. I really liked it. Yep. And and if you go peruse a little bit, you'll see a lot of poetry, a lot of prose. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to read through. Next up from Hacker Defoe, he's he's written in a couple times and great stuff. He says, hey there, guys. Uh, really enjoyed listening to the Debian Project's history. Very, very well done. Loads of kudos. He says, sadly, Ian Murdoch's amazing life ended in tragic, unfortunate, unclear, and sus- suspicious circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, you know, deny that. That is absolutely true. And we mostly didn't cover that because we ran out of time for the episode because there's, there's there was a whole lot of Debian history. And we didn't really yeah. want to get into the necessarily Ian history. Um, and we don't know all of the circumstances and details because we weren't, we you know, we weren't a part of that. Um so we didn't really want to add to the, any of the speculation of things and, and whatnot. That's not really our, our jam, if you will. That's right. more of a dateline thing and something my wife would watch. <laughs> That's, that, that, is a, that is a mystery movie kind of situation. Yeah. So what I can say is please take care of yourself and seek help should you need it. I mean, that's the best thing I can say. And I, 
I'll add on to that a little bit that I didn't write in here. Um, our healthcare system here in the United States isn't necessarily always the greatest, so I can understand some frustration about getting the actual help you need. So, yeah. Um, but please do reach out to someone if you need it. Anyway, he goes on and he says, I've created a few useful uh, gist related to Debian and sources.list files and Debian download links. Yeah, they are really cool uh, because I think a, a lot of times when you're trying to look for some Debian stuff, that website's not the best right. to find exactly what you need when you need it. Right. Um, some of that stuff can be buried, uh, and there were there were quite a few times where I'm like, you know, I, I know what I want. I don't know how to get there, though. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, yeah. And so he goes on, lastly, I'll encourage everyone to give back something in return to Dan and Leo for this amazing educational podcast, if their budget and means allow it. These guys absolutely deserve all the support one can possibly give. To Dan and Leo, can you consider adding Stripe as a possible payment? Um, it has lower fees and is as good as PayPal, if not better. You guys can also consider receiving support via cryptocurrency as it enables faster and cheaper international and cross-border transactions. It says, keep up the great work and adios. Interesting. So um, we'll have to look at Stripe. I don't, I don't know that we had uh, even really kind of thought about that one, but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I feel like Stripe would be more of a one-time mm -hmm. kind of, you know, here's a yep. fiver. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it and it may. I I have to look and see what like international possibilities are because I know some of those things can get really um, bound up, like because um, they're they're very accessible for here here in the United States, but I don't know about other countries being able to contribute there. So, um, right, we want to make it possible for those folks too. So you can always find all of the links and all of the things that we do at linuxuserspace.show. And you can always email us at contact at linuxuserspace.show. In this community focus, I want to highlight a kindred spirit hardware haven. So I may have done my share of dumpster diving in my early start in college days. I mean, that 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 probably surprises people. Maybe not. I, you know, I cobbled a system or two together out of four, whatever it took. <laughs> oh, super fun. Anyway, one of the things I love is learning stuff together, and you don't have to be an expert to learn together, and I feel like that is one of the things that comes out in this uh, channel, is we're all learning together. Um, and so we've, we've got the newfound treasure, and we're going to explore it, and then try something that we've never tried. So there's a lot of that going on, and... Um, it's a good way to go. I feel like it's uh, it's very much the same confidence level I take at some of these things myself, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's the way I learned. So that is really cool. Yeah, I got to say I did some. Uh, I, I what technically dumpster diving. Uh, most of the hardware was given to me, but I Frankenstein a whole lot of stuff together, and that is that is definitely my speed. Yeah, I love uh, I, I love just kind of you know this is broken now. Guess what? Now we fix it, and we move forward and figure out how to make this work. I absolutely love that kind of thing. I, I actually have something right here that I am now destined for pitching in the dumpster myself. Uh-oh. That I pulled 
three of them out of the dumpster back seriously when I was in college. And you're going to love it. I'm going to bring it up. Uh, we didn't plan this, by the way, folks. His name is Oscar. He is from the garbage. <laughs> Check this thing out. This What is this? This is a 386 luggable. Um check this out. Whoa. And so dude. It doesn't work anymore. The magic smoke. The magic smoke definitely got let out. You can see from oh, the no. key- keyboard cable it's it's pretty fried. There's yeah, and on the on the bottom of the keyboard it says bad. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because there were three of them, and one of them really was bad. And I, I put them all together, and the keyboard from that one was good. Anyway, did that in my college days, right? And so, yeah, they were just getting pitched from a business. We we gathered those, and now I do need to sadly send it to the e waste recycler. But it's sad. This channel absolutely reminds me of those days. So that's why I bring that up and drag, drag, awesome. drag that out of here. Uh, you know, my avalanche collapsed behind me, but whatever. <laughs> 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 um, but no, no, all seriousness. Um, that that was the uh, that's got like the amber screen and stuff. And Man, that's so cool. And, and five and a quarter inch floppy with the little, I want to say, 20 megabyte hard drive something like that full five and a quarter inch size anyway he's way more current with the stuff that he's he's pulling out of the dumpster bin um because he goes through like some little mini uh you know think center pcs much like the ones that you have yes and and he manages to finagle three of those out of there and then he turns it into kubernetes cluster which I thought was that cool. is really cool. Yeah, I absolutely yeah, yeah. love that kind of thing. That because that's that's what I was talking about. That's what was uh, what I was going through. I guess this was the late nineties, mm-hmm. and there were uh, I don't know maybe about twelve machines that mm-hmm. uh, were in various states of operation, and I ended up making five fully operational machines out of them. Uh, with like dual drives and all kinds of stuff. So I mean, I mean, out of twelve coming to five doesn't sound that great, but they were pretty beastly uh, machines back yeah. in the day. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that that was um, that was one of the coolest projects I did just right as I was getting my my tech start, kind of figuring out what all this stuff was, how it all worked, um, learning how to use Xcopy and and bypass uh-huh. using the 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 floppy and CD to install Windows and stuff. That was actually really, really cool, um, and that, that's probably why I'm here. One of the reasons that I'm here is uh, people that had faith in me enough to let me do weird stuff right. like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, very similar for me as well. So, But like, not everything is Linux and open source on the channel, but it's very technology-oriented, and, and uh, I think enough of it is Linux and open source that that everyone will find some value of things. We here. get a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, get, is, he gets a pass. This is good stuff. So stay curious. Check out Hardware Haven on YouTube and the Discord server that he that they have. Um, links will be in the show notes. Last focus. Last focus. We promised you a. Something different, right? We, we said did. the app focus was not quite going to be an app focus this time. And we're going to see exactly what I'm talking about when I say that I'm pretty sure this uh, this whole Gen 2 thing is going to last us 
to the end of the season. It absolutely will. We'll, we'll get to that point. This is Gen 2 Focus. Gen 2 Focus. Let's focus on Gen 2. Dan, you're checking in. Yep. You you have already rocketed past uh, me as far as what you've been able to do with the system. I mean, you, you've got a full-on GUI. You've got, you've got things happening. Like, you can use this as an everyday kind of system. I got a portable machine that I can take places and do stuff with. Yeah, absolutely, in, in, in GUI fashion. So that's pretty cool. That is not me, folks. <laughs> not yet. Well, you'll get there. Like, I think you're getting closer every time. So that's cool. Uh, once I get started on a project, I'm, I I have a hard time letting go until I'm to a satisfied point. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, you know, I I'm, get that. I'm never really satisfied. So, I mean, I'm always tinkering on stuff. But anyway, updates are going well on old Tater Top. I think I mentioned that I'm testing with Gen 2 testing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like it's like cutting edge stuff here. So you're you're gonna. Th- this is my favorite thing about this is that there 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 are gonna be two sides to this uh, Gen 2 focus. This yeah. Gen 2 check in. There's going to be the the bleeding edge. I'm testing all the weird stuff and and just having fun with it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and the other end of that uh, is gonna be. I, I'm I'm still knee deep in the handbook, kind of figuring things out. And what does this mean, and why did it break? Honestly, the way I'm doing it with the Gen two testing thing, it feels a lot like Arch. Um, at least as far as the way um, updates come down, you know, in a way I can choose when that happens and all of that stuff, so um, I can work around any potential issues that I'm paying attention to in the packages that I'm using if I pay mm. attention, and so. Yeah, now that things are set up and working, it just it's just updating and and I can do that when I know I want to get something that's that's come down. Here's a couple of things that I mentioned I think on the live stream and maybe even in the last episode, but potentially some things I didn't too. So, uh, okay. th- this is what okay. I found useful. Last time I mentioned to use the handbook uh when setting things up, especially the compile flags and whatnot. It's pretty important, so I thought I definitely wanted to mention that one again. The handbook is very helpful. I'll I'll double down on that too, but I will say I've got some issues. Yeah, it's well. not perfect, and it's <laughs> yeah. not everything. And sometimes you need to go beyond what just the handbook is telling you. But it is a handbook, and it is a guide to to get you sort of it, on the yeah. right track. And it does it that. Definitely is. It does that. So do use that. Here's a big one that I've found personally. The package naming is very different. Um, yes. It, it, packages use a category and then a package name type of convention. Um, so to help ease things for you, when you're looking for stuff, you you can do the search in the, in the command line. But I think using packages.gen2.org is a good way to go to search for your thing. It's, it's very... Yeah. Very clean looking, simple enough and fast enough that I like just have a web browser there so you can search out the things that you want to install. Um, oh, yeah. And being able to control F if there's a you know a right. bunch of stuff that, that shows up that is similarly named or something like that really, really helps out. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely agree on this one, too. Yeah, you can totally use a merge dash S and then the expression in a regular type expression. If you want to search for stuff on the command line, 
um, or just, you know, emerge-s and what you think the package is named or something in the package. You can put that stuff in there and it'll spit out a whole bunch of stuff in your face. Um, but it isn't, you know, it isn't always as nice and clean looking. So right. I think the web page is good, especially for yeah. new, new people. Um, here's one that isn't huge, but something to, to watch out for is pay attention to the eSelect news. Uh, after you've done updates or installing packages before before you do them but yeah before or sometimes after so because sometimes yeah. uh, um actions are you have to follow up with other things after you've done right. some of these so the e-select news can help tell you um like um like you need to run like some hooks aren't automatic like they are in other package managers um, so if it's not, it'll tell you what things you need to do to enable them, um, especially like services and stuff. If you need to enable some services, it'll give right. you the, the, the RC, you know, commands to, to go update that and make sure your, your, your service is now running because yeah, it, you installed it and you think, oh, why, what the, it's not doing anything. And it's because the service isn't enabled because it told you to do that in the eSelect news. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the user merge thing is actually part of the news uh, that I yep. noticed. So um, if you're on Gentoo and you haven't done the whole user bin, mm -hmm. bin, merge thing yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh that's that's one of those news articles that you really need to pay attention to and if you don't eventually you're going to get caught up it'll and, shock you and it's yep. not going to so, be good something's going to surprise you but th this is a very old style way of dealing with i think administration and i think it is kind of refreshing to kind of go back to that kind of thing where you know you don't have to necessarily have a web page to tell you about right. things and forget to go like this is part of the command line, it's part of um, just the general administration right. uh, style. That's a good way to put it. Gen two, and I like it. I like I I like having it there, right where I'm doing the work. Mm -hmm. I can also check what I need to be doing later on. Right, I agree. No, that's it, cool. It is pretty cool and um, important to follow up. You know, if you have any follow up action items. So, oh um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I mentioned that there's a lot of reading in, in Gen 2, but there is. So make there sure to is. do it. Yeah. Uh, full confession. This will shock everyone. I'm a tinkerer. No. Yeah, okay. So that doesn't shock anybody. But uh, since I like to experiment, I thought I the next experiment that I'm going to partake in here on little old tater top is maybe treat it a little better and, and put something a little lighter on it. And, okay. Um, I'm I'm... It's all done. It took took less time than I thought it was going to. It's kind of great. Um, I thought it would still be going when the episode when we started recording, but it, it was pretty much all done just about the time oh. we did start recording. So that's pretty cool. Um, so I added LXQ because I'm I'm gonna put it alongside my Plasma install. Those things can okay. kind of co co mingle pretty nicely. Typically. Well, yeah, the, the QT base underneath is is similar, and then Plasma and LXQ kind of grow off of that. Yeah, I needed to do some some you know finagling as far as some settings, but for the most part, they'll they'll co mingle just fine. So I'm good with until that. the QT six change. 
Yeah, and that's coming too. But like, oh, yeah, no, 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 oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everything will have to get compiled together anyway, so it it should work. I feel like that's going to happen before the season's out. Would so so we we might finally finally hear. Yeah, I blew it all up. <laughs> yeah, we might. <laughs> Anyway, it wasn't a big install. There was only like 40 packages extra to install uh, from what I saw wow. before it started. So it wasn't huge. Um, and it is all done. I can see as the screen is just idle over there now. But I think it'll be a fun experiment and pra- perhaps a better choice for uh, this woefully powered machine that I have. Um, so full report next time we check in. Until then, we're going on a journey. I've never done Gentoo before. I know Dan hadn't either, but um, but I don't know how Dan took it and just ran and was was good to go. <laughs> Running desktops and everything. I I was not that fast when I started this journey. Really, kind of wanted to write everything down and kind of remember where I had been so that I didn't make uh, similar mistakes. And I definitely, definitely, absolutely made a mistake. So my my first effort. Uh, is uh, my okay? My first two efforts uh, have been on Proxmox, uh, just running a VM. I've SSH'd into my Gen two environment and just kind of done all of the work uh, from there. I think there are some things that the handbook doesn't cover that that would be specific to Proxmox that I'm gonna just have to figure mm. out. Maybe that we'll, makes sense. We'll have to see. Um, yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, thankfully, though, Proxmox has uh, snapshotting abilities so that you can kind of uh, not hurt as bad when mm-hmm. things go wrong. You can kind of roll back a little bit. Nice cloning, but, um, cloning ability, too. So that's also pretty nice. Right. Yep. Right. So I can kind of just make branches and, mm-hmm. and decide how I want to deal with that kind of stuff. But um, so the the first thing I did after you, after you get in kind of to a uh, – you download the Gen 2 disk, you – uh, give it to Proxmox and you boot up a system. I kept pretty much everything default. I figured that would be the easiest way to do it. We will see. Mm-hmm. Um, but after after you kind of get through the the first couple of steps, which are pretty simple, I think anybody can get there. Uh, I enabled SSH so that I could do it from any desktop. I, I didn't have to be tied to a specific machine or I didn't have to be in a specific spot in my house. Um, I could be on any platform, whatever. Yeah. As long as it had SSH, I could handle it. That's pretty easy. It's in the handbook. Um, it, it reminds you to run it if that's how you want to deal with stuff. So that's really kind of cool. The handbook has been pretty good to me. Um, you you go through verification and partitioning of your disks, just like you do in Arch. You know, uh, and, and over the next few steps, pretty much just going to be the same kind of experience that you would have in, in, in a like a true Arch install, not using the installer kind of situation. Right. Um, you, you create your install environment. Uh, you don't have to, I think, mount MNT Gen 2. That directory already exists. So yeah, if you're using the 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 install disk that Gentoo provides, right. so the, yeah, I definitely the, am. You can technically use any live install disk, which is crazy to me. Yeah, a little little wild, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but I'm I'm keeping it as standard as possible. That's cool because oh, I've already cool. blown it up and. Uh, <laughs> by by deviating, so right, uh, right. First first run through is going to be pretty standard. Um, you verify networking, make sure you have an IP address and all that stuff. You verify the date. Uh, it's in UTC, so you kind of have to figure that out. Make sure that it's right. It is. If you have an IP address, it'll be fine. Uh, and then you download and extract stage three. So stage three is where like the bulk of the system is, and uh, that's what you're gonna like plop into your um your new environment, your install environment, 
uh, that you will cheroot into later. Um, Then you set some compiler info. Now this this is this is pretty involved. Ah yes, this is the first time where you have to deviate from just rote instructions of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You have to make some kinds of decisions here. Um, and you know, it's, it's not particularly difficult, but you do have to read a lot. And there's a base level of understanding that I think is kind of expected to happen. So, uh, I set some compiler information. I just did M arch native, uh, which meant that it would just kind of figure it out itself. It would auto select based off of whatever the hardware it's on. I'm trusting it to do that. And that seemed to work okay. Um, by default, O2 um, is uh, one of the compiler options that that you're going to be using. I know we had covered on the show last season O3 and how that would have some impact on uh, on speed. Yeah, I think clear. Yeah, yeah clear Linux had switched everything. They've been I using think, by default. Yeah, O3. Yeah. So Gentoo still has some caveats about it. So I didn't want to break anything uh, worse. Uh, so I stuck with O2. And then uh, pipe is another option that I just left alone. Um, and it did mention in the handbook that GCC might die if the system is low memory. I don't know what low memory actually is. The handbook doesn't define what low memory is. Uh, so my question yeah. to the handbook is, is four gigabytes low? Because uh, that's what I gave to my VM. And well, that's what I have in Tater Top. So there you right. go. Um, and it turns out using context clues later on in the handbook, yes, is the answer. Um, yeah. because it has some, uh, some kind of guidance on how many jobs you should be able yeah. to run. And on four gigs, uh, one job turns out just one, Yes, because, yes. uh, two gigs per job is kind of the, uh, the, the knowledge there. So I'm like, all right, fine. Normally, you'd pin a job to a CPU that you have available yeah. as well, um, but they they did mention the the low memory limitation as far as having the number of jobs that you you want to assign these things to. You got to leave a little space for the system to run, right? In, in addition to the jobs that it's doing, right? So, so I made sure um, uh, a little later on. There's a make opts. The option and I made it I made sure to set it to J1 for jobs one job just one yep. job I did this as well just so you know uh, I don't think it took actually because uh, as text was flying by uh, it was like two jobs and I'm like uh oh but I have swap so okay that's cool yeah that's the other thing yep so you go you continue going through the process you're you you choose your mirrors uh, I chose I think Georgia there, there were some mm-hmm. other places, but Georgia was... I was like, that's close enough. That's close enough. It's fine. So the gen2.conf file has uh, examples of uh, repos and all of that kind of stuff um, in user share. So we, we went through that entire process. I copied DNS configuration to the install environment so that after the reboot, I would still have internet. Yeah, well, at least name name service. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Oh, true, true. Yeah, actually, the, the last step, which is many steps from now, 
Uh, I made sure I had the rest of the IP addressing and everything else going on. Um, But as you can see, as, as, as you can see, and as you will see, it is, it is very involved. I think there's more steps in a Gen 2 install than, than an Arch install. So like we've, we've gone beyond uh, since about step seven here, we've gone way beyond what, uh, what an Arch system would require you. Arch has some scripts that do some of this stuff for you automatically. Right. Right. So, uh, so to anybody, anybody that has ever said Gen 2 is easy, you're wrong. There's, there's been a lot of attention to detail, which for a lot of people is not easy. And That's there, true. There, there has been a lot of configuration and contexting that, that is just very difficult for, for a lot of folks. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, 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 am very, I am a very technical person. I, I can get through pretty much just about anything. I know I will get through Gen 2. Yeah. And then, so after you mount all that stuff manually, uh, you trude into the environment, then you source profile, and then uh, you add yourself a bash prompt. So that, that, that kind of stuff is optional. You don't have to, to add right. the bash prompt, but it reminds you that you're in a trude environment. And then yep. when you, t- you know, something like if you type in exit, you're out of the trude environment and now you're uh, back into the live system. Right. Um, so it, it helps. But the the thing is that like if you're SSH session in my in my case if it ever uh, fails or stops you have to do it all again so you have to get mm-hmm. back into the root you have to uh, source the file again yep all that yep. right so it it is um it, it is a bit of a slog if you can't get it done in one go and I don't know if you know anything about me but um I I tend to just hit stuff as I can. Uh, you know, if I got 30 minutes, ah, cool, I'll, I'll run a couple commands, make sure I got things going or whatever, and I'll walk away. And if that if that fails, well, well, now you got to do it all over. Well, some of it, you, you've got to get back into the mode yeah, again. Yeah, you got to know where before. it went wrong and get back there. Yeah, Exactly. And I mean, if, if, if I hadn't had the Linux experience that I've had, if I didn't know the things that I knew, then that would, that would be a, you know what, rip the bandit off, start over again then kind of situation for me um, because it's it's not exactly obvious how you should where you should start over again so so it's mm-hmm. it is difficult all right so after you trued in uh you mount your boot partition so that whenever you deal with kernel-y stuff and you actually you know do grubby things that all works the way you expect it to um so you mount that then uh, the handbook mentions that you should emerge web rsync and this builds a local repository so you know what kinds of uh, software you have available to you. Um, and this is when it brings in the news. This is why I was talking about the news. We didn't actually yep. do anything. It's basically like an apt update, essentially, and yep. kind of gives you what you're working with, the things that you can pull in, how you can deal with the system and how you can build it from here. Um, and one of the news items was the user merge thing. And... There are options uh, as we get into the next step to, of profiles that uh, you can choose different profiles, right? Just like base system, base system with system D. You can do a GNOME system, a plasma system. And you can kind of, kind of think of these as like the group installs in a Red Hat or a Fedora or a CentOS kind of okay. system. Yep. Um, and so it, it really kind of, it sets a lot of things for you. So, I mean, Gen 2 is not, a hundred percent build everything yourself. There are things like like these profiles that will help you. Uh, oh yeah, you know, make a lot of decisions for you so that you don't have to spend an extra hour trying to figure out. Okay, well, if I bring in this gnome package, what am I going to have to do? Right? There's a lot of resolution to that stuff for you in these profiles. But um, 
you know, it doesn't mean that you can be thoughtless on this. But anyway, out of those 10 news articles, the user merge is probably the only thing that would have affected me uh, mm-hmm. because I was planning. I, I originally booted this thing up on a system D, um, the, the system D boot installation, system D installation, because okay. uh, I was planning on having system D. And then I realized a little later on, well, that's not the way Gen 2 does things. Gen 2 is an open RC system. Well, by default, you can do system D, but by default- It's there. You can do it, but it's way, not, you're right. It's not the default. Right. The way that thing. the way that the handbook is written, it favors open RC, and I yeah. suppose the community favors open RC as well. So- uh, Leo, I, I don't mean to brag too much, but I did it both ways. Good. Well, I plan on it. I, I do plan on it because I want to have the experience of both ways. I need to know yeah. how it goes. And it's not like the handbook doesn't it have works. a system D section. It does, yeah. and it will explain it, but you have to be very thoughtful in the steps that you take after this point because it's like, do this, do this, do this if you're on OpenRC. If you're on system right. D, do this, do this, do this. So you do have to be very careful about... Yeah, you got to know where to branch off and do the right thing. Uh, so I did one. In, I did the one in the VM, and then I did the. Yeah, I'm, I'm open RC on the laptop, just so you know. Okay, cool. So after you do the WebR sync, you have a uh, kind of a base system to look at to kind of figure out where you're going to do that. Um, but in in the next step, you select the profile. So this is where you decide what your system is going to be. After poking around, right? It says in the handbook. After viewing the available profiles for the AMD64 architecture, which I am on, users can select a different profile for the system. Well, what I didn't know at the time was that the handbook was not talking about right now. Right. It was saying that you can sometime in the future, because we haven't covered this step yet, look at the profiles and decide to build a Gen 2 based on these profiles. Right. So here's... So I, I took that to mean that I could do that right now. And so I was like, you know what? My plan is to get a base system with GNOME, Gen 2, System D. And so I, that's what I chose. There is a profile specifically for that. Yep. And so I did it 100%. And I was like, this is going to be great. Not not a problem at all. So the, the profile itself, if you want to check for yourself, I think it was like number 17 or something for me. It was desktop, GNOME, System D, merged user. So that I wouldn't have to worry about merging my own uh, user directory. It would have system D, which is what I planned on originally. I wanted GNOME just so I could have a base system that is huge and it would take a long time to compile. So I could have cool compiling stuff in the background like Dan does. Uh, that's cool. Um, and I was like, that's, that's going to be great. Well, don't do this. Don't. <laughs> um, because you need kernel sources in user source Linux that don't exist yet. And they don't tell you that this doesn't exist yet, even though they tell you that you can select any of the profiles. And that that was my mistake. I learned this later on. But after poking around for about an hour to find out what step I missed, because I went back, dude, from to the very first step. And I was like, why is it missing? Because I I, I tried doing the uh the at world update, right? Yep. It it tells you after you pick your profile to do an at world update. It basically, you know, pulls in everything, compiles everything, gets everything ready for you, and then yep. you can move on. Um, that failed very early oh on. Like there were like 180 things I needed to compile. And I'm like, well, this is going to take forever. I'm going to go to bed. But um, before I could even leave, it was like error, 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 error. And I started looking into it and it was like, oh yeah, you don't have uh, kernel sources in your user source Linux. And I'm like, why not? Why wouldn't that be there? Um, 
because it said I could change profile. So I picked one and I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, because so, you haven't gotten, gotten that far yet to, to be able to, yeah. Exactly. So I wonder now why the handbook mentions it that way. Why does it say that you can select other profiles this early on without providing the links to the sources you need to look at to be successful? I don't know, because like when you think about it, like the Arch uh, wiki would probably give you a link to something. Well, and the Gentoo and, and handbook you, is... Yeah, and it does in some places. You're right. Yeah. And so why, like you'd think like it would give you a link to go, you know, on a side quest, right? If you're going to choose any of the, you know, bigger profiles or whatever, maybe bring in the kernel sources first. And, you know, I didn't know this right. at the time. So I'm, I'm poking around trying to figure it out. And, and I see there's no kernel sources. I'm like, well, how do you get kernel sources? So I thought I had missed a step. I have not missed a step. That was the next page. But right. it's a head scratcher. And I think, you know, adding a couple links would kind of alleviate that issue, right? It like might. The, these, yep. bigger, these bigger things that you need to compile that you require kernel sources for, maybe you need to go get the kernel sources first. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a wiki. We could go edit it, probably. Right. So, but, but <laughs> I mean, after an hour, I gave up. I was right. like, well, I don't know how to get kernel sources. Uh, nothing has shown me how to do that up to this point. And I'm pretty sure. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'm just going to do everything exactly the way that it says and never deviate at all. So right. instead of using system D, I use OpenRC. And instead of changing the profile, I'm just going to use whatever's default. And I, I mean, that that was not my intention. I didn't want to do that. I, I kind of felt like I lost the game by having to go with, with some default. You can so, switch it later, though. So that's, that's... I know. You can win it back. You can win it back. And I'm going to start over and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to... But, but, but I had to fail. To know what I know mm -hmm. now, and I think I've, I feel like there are some edits to the handbook that that could be made that wouldn't require having to go through all of that pain. So yeah. anyway, so I didn't want to rock the boat. Uh, started all the way over, did all those steps all over again on uh, on a new VM, but using the OpenRC and the profile that was selected was the base profile. Didn't have a GUI, didn't have any of that stuff. It was just the default Linux AMD 64 17.1 uh profile that was it and so i'm not going to have a gui at the end of my journey which is okay but i'll have to build it later all right so the very first profile that's what i went with i updated at world and it took about 10 minutes but no errors so cool that's good and then i configured licenses now this was this part of the handbook is hieroglyphics to me i know what kind of licenses i wanted to accept which is all of them but there wasn't an all of them option. There actually is. Okay. So the way that it explained it made me kind of think that if I chose the crappiest one, that it would also accept all the previous ones. But only two of the options actually made that sound that way. And then in the example, there was an accept license equals dash asterisk. Which is the opposite, I think, of what you we're intending for the handbook is not clear it is not so i'm just gonna say like the dash is a negate right not, it means not not everything and then what you have written here tells me that you've added free and binary redistributable right back back in so those are the allowed okay so do i have to go in and add every license is that the play 
No, you. Well, the idea is you can add the licenses that you want to add. Right? Well, I want all of them. What? What, uh, what? You want all of them, so that would be just asterisks. And it tells you not to do that for somewhere for freedom you, reasons. You, yes, yes, for freedom reasons. Like if you click on the link, there's a there is a link to di- that discusses some of this stuff a little yeah. further. And I I did read into it because you're right. It is not intuitive and it isn't very straightforward. Yeah, well, something that I that I didn't mention, um, adding the non-free firmware breaks if you don't fix this right. Like that, it won't let you do it. Right. So yeah, it's like go make sure you, you accept the correct license and do this again. And I'm like, when it when it comes time huh? and on, like you're probably okay right on on your VM because you know you're emulating things and it's kind of free, right? So. When you go to do this on hardware, it may be a different story. And you once may... I start dealing with microcode and Intel and all this other stuff, because it's going to be on this machine back here, right? Um, that's that's okay. So if I just put uh, quote asterisk quote, that's all the licenses. That's everything. Yes. Okay. And so, but well, like, yeah, do do read the link. Um, one of the things, like you you point out, it's a little confusing. There's there is a list of all of the licenses but it isn't I saw that it isn't as concise as I'd like to see it right it isn't I don't know it just isn't as good it isn't laid out real great it's all yeah, there I, all the information is there I don't want to take away from that it yeah. is all there except how to accept them all in one go <laughs> that right. is not there in the handbook right right yeah maybe I maybe maybe I missed it but I'm pretty sure I didn't cuz I stared at it for I a only while. know because I I did that I did what you're not supposed to do and I added the asterisk and just said yeah Give me, give me all the licenses. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pragmatic. Right, so, so, so after <laughs> that, after setting that, uh, set my time zone. Um, you have to set um, your like character sets, like so ISO and UTF and yep. all that. Um, you have to uh, set your locale, which is cool because then it fixes your clock and stuff. Um, and then you you have to like reset your profile again. So after all of this is done, then you have to kind of like bring in all of that character set stuff and then kind of reset your profile to acknowledge that. Um, installed firmware, this is where you would have messed up if you didn't select the proper licensing because otherwise right. uh, bad things happen. It's like, no, your license Most, doesn't approve that. Yeah, and if, if you've got Wi-Fi, then, well, guess what? Yep. No, no, none for you. Yep. Then the install kernel package, which I'm, which I'm not 100% sure what it does. Um, I suppose it's like, information about the kernels or something because the next step was to install the binary kernel which i mean i had already i had already been beaten down a little bit so i'm just like yeah, i'm not gonna comply it compile it uh i'm just gonna put the binary just kernel i'll do that later um and that, that that only took about five minutes yeah no that shouldn't be too bad the the issue that i had with updating at world would have been solved with this step uh which is emerge Sys kernel Gen two sources that will pull in um, the kernel sources, but uh, but apparently, I found out that when I did eselect kernel list, it, so it lists all of the kernels that you have. Um, that not only did I have uh, the Gen two kernel, I had the Gen two bin kernel. So just installing a kernel would have done it, uh, and then it would have mm. it would have linked it and everything else to allow me to do. The gnome thing, so oh, uh, the gnome okay. uh, thing where it said didn't have kernel sources, couldn't you know user source Linux, whatever it was. Um, I, I probably would have been able to do it at that point, 
So so I, I checked on the link, and it turns out that it was linked. Uh, the binary kernel was linked already. I didn't change it. I didn't dare change it. Um, and then at this point, you're kind of you're you're set to uh, check out your UUIDs and mm-hmm. write your FSTAB files, set yep. a host name, install DHCP CD, which is what I did, and that was that was pretty much where I left off. I had uh, I had enabled DHCP CD to start after this next reboot, but at, uh, up until this point, like from this very first step, starting from the beginning, I hadn't rebooted, right? Except to start over, but you know, once I started over, I hadn't rebooted. Um, but I did take a quick break to install NeoFetch, uh, so that I could have that in the show all day. That's cool. That's uh, cool. Yeah. I, wherever it is. I can't tell where that camera is. Yeah. Yeah. Your point now. Yeah. 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 yeah you're good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, that's kind of where I left off, man. But that's a lot. It um, is a lot. So, so again, to recap, that is not easy. Um, if you are blindly following the handbook, um, you, you, you can probably do it. Um, but man, there's, there's going to be a good couple of times where the handbook is not exactly clear, uh, in which choice you should make or what you should do. It's, it's, uh, it's just to point you in a direction Yeah, and you have to make some choices. Sometimes they're hard choices because they could be things that you don't know necessarily. You just don't think, uh, about how your system is unique. Um, because yeah. they all are unique, um, and you know the the processor and all of the components that make it up, especially when you're doing a laptop. If you, oh yeah, yeah. If you built your desktop, you probably would oh, be really easier good, to figure you, it out. You got a really good idea of what went into that that laptop. Uh, you have no idea the components necessarily um, how they shipped off the factory line. Only the engineers do. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it can make it a little tricky. If you've been through some other Linux things, you may know more information about your machine. I feel like that's only if you had like that wonky Wi-Fi card where you had to like bring in a kernel module yourself. Right. You might know the name of the kernel module so that when you're running Gentoo, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I do need a kernel module for this. Right. Or or my touchpad is something weird and I it's it's an, you know, it's a synaptic special thing or something. Right. You probably would have encountered that elsewhere. Yep. Don't forget to recompile your kernel after that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so so it it is a whole lot more involved than Arch. Um, yeah. And it and it's definitely more involved than any other distribution I've ever run. I mean, uh, Slackware I feel like has has a learning curve, uh, but it ain't like this. And Arch as well. If you're going through not the Arch installer, you're you're doing it by hand. Uh, there's a learning curve there too. But but still, it's not like this. So yeah. Yeah, they, and vo- the, and we've talked about this. Yeah, you know, void, void too. Yeah, yeah. Void and Alpine and yeah, I I, I failed uh, on live stream with Alpine, but yeah. um, you know, yeah, I, those... I was still able to you know get back up on that horse and get Alpine going within an hour. Or so, right. uh, but Gentoo is taking multiple sessions of very thoughtful consideration of every single step, just simply because I had already blown it up once. Uh, I'm trying not to do that again. And I'm learning, right? Like th- mm. there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to to understand. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking a lot of that up. Um, but yeah, you, you, no one, no one can say this is easy. It is not easy, but you are just about over a hump where, right. where, where things just start to kind of, you know, get into a maintenance mode, if you will. Cool. And it's, and it's, it's a little more like you're just doing maintenance to your system, not trying well, to build it up. And so you've got it built up and it, and it 
just keeps itself going a little bit. Yeah, I feel like now that now that I have kernel sources, I could switch profiles using the eselect yep. thing, and then just do the update at world thing. Yep, and it should it should just do it uh, because I have. You might need to add some. So you might need to add some meta packages or whatever, like based based on things that you might want. So like one of the things I, I bumped into. But I would into get a base with, gnome system, right? Yeah, probably. Like so one yeah, of the yeah, things yeah. I, I bumped into with the plasma install, right, is it installs plasma just just fine. But you didn't get any of the KDE apps unless you told it to. Okay. Yeah, and th- and that's something I can yeah. You're right. You you get booted into it, but um you don't have console. And that's cool because you, you know, but you figure it out, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's you you know it's a KDE app. Oh, it didn't install any of the KDE apps. I didn't tell it to do that meta package. In my mind, I was thinking, well, I don't need all of the KDE apps to get going. Not thinking that uh, console, console would have been for, one of them. What would, yeah. would have been one of them? I would have thought that would have went with the base system, but it doesn't. It just isn't. Yeah. So I mean, it, it is what it is. And and, and that's so, cool. Those those are situations that I can figure out. Yeah, it's it's when the information is missing that that it kind of uh it's it's harder to sidestep. Um turns out you got to right. go further in the handbook to figure out that you need to go back in the handbook to figure out uh what the situation actually was. But right. I got it now. I think I can uh, I, I think we're yeah, as you mentioned it, it looked like I was on the home stretch, so I I think we're going to be okay probably by the next one of these. Uh I'll have a whole lot less to say and a whole lot more to report. I don't know. It's 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 probably going to change my opinion about Gen two by the end of all of this. But well, I yeah. don't know what in two. It's going to change it, but I don't know to what. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where mine's going. Uh, um, ooh, okay, but I okay. will say, like, so one of the other things is we early on. I think we were just barely starting uh, Gen two here. Joshua Lee, yes, who is uh, one of the, one of our followers, but also you'll you find him over on doing the Gen Linux two cast. things. Well, he does Gen 2 things, but he's also on the Linux cast. You can watch him over there. Um, he gave us some tips, uh, and I've intentionally sandbagged some of those. Uh, I'll save them for later. Cool. Um, so I, I we're maybe halfway down his list. I'm not sure. I haven't been really been keeping tabs, but I'll look them all over. And uh, certainly if there's any other ones that I don't bump into myself, um, I will mention his his info. Uh, <laughs> so that brings us to next time, though. Uh, next time, we're going to talk about the history of the immutable uh, Fedora desktop options, um, like we talked about earlier. The Fedora Silverblue, Kinoite, uh, Saracia, and a few thoughts and whatever else we can cram into the show. So, in between shows, please catch us on Twitter, Mastodon, Telegram, Matrix, Discord, Lemmy, uh, whatever else. Just give us your suggestions on our subreddit uh, and, and join the conversation. Please talk to us. Give us more ideas and all of the links and show notes on linuxuserspace.show. So, Leo, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me over on the uh, Twitter X thing at Leo Chavez. Ah. And, yeah, I know. I know. But it's, it's more official every day. Uh, and at Leo Chavez at Mastodon.social if you like to be a little more free. And you can find me at KC2BZ on the little former bluebird place, X, whatever we're calling that. Um, and also at KC2BZ at Mastodon.social. I'm there too. 
Cool. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Bye. So the way that the handbook kind of mentions this depth clean thing, which is basically like like apt auto remove and stuff, right? Like it gets rid of the cruft that was left over from previous updates. And um, it, it also gets rid of some of the build, you know, dependency things. It cleans some of that right. stuff out too that you use to build things that you don't need to run your system. Right. So uh, so I, uh, the way that it makes it sound like you should run it, but. At the current state of the system, you don't need to. And it, it, it will specifically tell you, shouldn't have done this. And, <laughs> and I was like, all okay. right, cool. I'll keep that in my back pocket for maybe in a week or two. But uh, yeah, anyway. I think you I, just build up cruft if you don't do it. I don't know. It probably doesn't hurt you. So in the next kernel that comes down, I should run it. So it gets rid of the, the not the previous one, but the previous, previous kernel. Yeah, because you want a couple. You don't want five exactly yeah because you want to fall back to one if just in case right right